good morning and welcome to Portico. My name is Rick. I'm the campus pastor here and we're so happy to have you with us this morning. However, if you failed that test, we're going to have to ask you to go. Uh, we don't allow for... No, just kidding. <laughs> just kidding. We, we love... Ha- we know that it's Easter. Actually, on any Sunday, we know we have people who are all kinds of different people who are checking out church. We have some of the hardcores that are here uh, whenever the church is open. You're here before we get here and you make us unlock the building. We know, we know we have people that faith is important to a family member. You're here this morning, not because you wanted to come to church, but because someone in your family wanted you to come to church. And we know that there's people here here this morning. We know there's people who are in church. You're just here visiting, and so you've come to church. On Easter Sunday, we even know that we wanted to keep our kids in the, in, in the service. So if you're under the age, I'm not going to put an age limit on it. If you feel like coloring helps you pay attention in church, then you make sure you get a packet from Amanda and Zara. Andrew needs one, Chris needs one, Chris needs two. So listen, we know that we have all kinds of people in church and we are just happy to have a great group of people who are either here to celebrate what they already believe, here to question maybe because they're trying to consider some of the claims of Christ and some of the claims of the church. We even know that there are some people here, you're just waiting until this is done so you have fulfilled your duty. And you know, we're happy to have everybody here in church in all those groups this morning. Here's what we hope. We hope that Portico is a place where you and your understanding of God becomes a little richer because of our meeting together this morning. You've joined us at the end of a series. This has been a four-part series called Clash of the Titans, as you can see going on behind me. Week one, we started the series and we called it The Uprising, and we looked at who Satan was. And has anybody been watching the, um, the, the series Lucifer? Anybody, you've seen that? It's on, uh, I see it on CTV. And yeah, we've got a few people watching that. We saw that Satan, in week one of Clash of the Titans, we saw that he's not this omnipresent evil presence that's lurking everywhere and people uh, identify him all over the place. He actually was a created being. He was an angel. And his name was Lucifer. And it was Lucifer's pride that actually was his downfall. And then on the second week, we had a focus on high treason and how that humans were actually elicited into this same act of of pride and they became sinful. And sin, we know, is just an act against God. And that's how sin came into the world is through this act of pride. We had week one, Lucifer, the uprising. Week two, treason, high treason with uh, men, Adam and Eve and sin entering the world. And then if you were with us on Good Friday, we were all together in Mississauga, all four of our campuses, and we, we looked at the battle that was fought on, behalf, uh, on our behalf and sin and pride as Jesus went to the cross. So that lands us here this morning, Easter Sunday, with looking at Jesus the victor. Now, if you're going to have a central theme of anything, any good communicator knows it should be summed up in one sentence. If you were going to sum up the raptor season this year, what would it be? Summing up the raptor season this year. Any basketball, basketball fans? Yeah, we got some basketball. If you're going to sum up the raptor season, it, it doesn't matter that they get 50 wins. It doesn't matter if they set a new franchise record. All that matters is what? They got to win a playoff series. You can sum up the Raptors just like that. This season is pointless unless we win at least a game in the playoffs. And hopefully, unlike last year, hopefully a whole series in the playoffs. Anybody going for Easter dinner afterwards, like lunch or dinner? Anybody going? So you can have colored vegetables and you can have a new way to do potatoes. It doesn't matter unless what dish is done properly. 
the meat, right? As long as, yeah, it doesn't, you can put, you can have four different, I, I love vegetables, and you can have all the different colors of the rainbow, and you can have all the different things. If you haven't finished that one dish well, the centerpiece, Easter dinner is not going to be the way that you want it to be. Well, well, the Bible can be summed up in one message as well. I don't know if you know this. The Bible, it's a holy book. It teaches us how to be generous. It teaches us how to ask for forgiveness. But the Bible is summed up in one sentence. Here it is. Jesus was God's son. He laid his life down to pay the price to allow you and I to go to heaven. And we're here together meeting on Easter Sunday, and there is, there is no other message that we would speak. There is no other message that I have. We work harder than you might think to come up with creative messages every Sunday and try and keep things different and, and try and keep things interesting. We've just come through two, two months of the Tough Questions series, and we had uh, Timothy Keller's book, and we wove a whole series together. It took hours of strategizing and planning to put that together. You're not going to want to miss our next series. In, in April, you're going to want to be here all four Sundays. We're doing a series called Renovate, where we're looking at how to apply biblical principles to our life, to our work, to our relationships, to the way that we deal with finances. We're going to have on-the-street interviews. We're going to have video segments going on. It's going to be an interactive month. You won't want to miss Renovate. But on Easter Sunday, there is only one message that we ever speak. And for those of you who only come Christmas and Easter, you should try a Sunday in June. Honestly, we talk about other things. There are other things happening. But on Easter, this, we always come back to this because it's the one central theme. It's the one message that the church has. So we're going to go to our key text this morning in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 to 8. So if you have a Bible, you can turn there. If you don't have a Bible, just slip up your hand, and one of our ushers will make sure you get a copy of the Bible to borrow this morning, and you can just leave it on your chairs. Just slip it up, leave it there until the ushers uh, make sure that you get a copy of the Bible. You can also find all of the verses there on our app. You can download the Portico app. It's on all platforms, and all of our notes and all of our verses are right on there. So we are going to read 1 Corinthians Chapter 15, 1 to 8, 1 Corinthians is in the New Testament towards the end. And here's what it says, verses 1 through 8. Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel you are saved, if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise, you would have believed in vain. For what I received, I passed on to you, as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, that's another name for Peter, and then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living. Remember, this text was written right a, a few years after Jesus had gone back to heaven, though some have fallen asleep. And then he appeared to James and then to all the apostles. And last of all, he appeared to me, this is Paul writing, as to one abnormally born. And I know that we have, as I had mentioned, a mix of individuals in the rooms in terms of your faith and where you stand with God, what you believe about the Bible. And for all of us, though, what we've created, we have, we have four different places where this message is being presented. And we believe we have four statements that it doesn't matter where you come into this message, we believe you can consider this and be challenged by it and maybe grow a little bit more in your understanding of who God is. And if you're, if you're a skeptic of Christianity, all we're asking is that you might consider that there be truth in the Bible. 
And I'd never be naive enough to think that you've done years of research and, and, and you've come to a place that where you believe something in your heart. i not not naive enough to think that in 30 minutes we could undo all of that. But would you be open enough to consider that there might be truth in the scripture this morning and what we present to you? If you're considering Christianity, if, if, if Christianity is something that's on your radar, but it's not maybe the most important thing to your life, could you just reevaluate this morning and think, what is it that holds me back from really embracing the message of Christ whole on? What's holding you back from this life-giving truth that we seem to talk about? And for those of you who are already convinced believers, can you reflect on Paul's words this morning that he wrote to the church in Corinth and see how it applies to you and maybe what would shift in your understanding of God and Jesus and the resurrection this, this Easter. So I want to pray for us. We're going to pause for a moment, and then we're going to move forward. Father, Lord Jesus, we thank you that we have an opportunity to meet like this. We know that not all over the world do they have this opportunity. We thank you for a band that can lead us in a time of, of worship and connection. We thank you for, for the food that's down there and the coffee that we can enjoy. And most of all, we're so thankful on Easter that, that Jesus, you stepped in and paid a price that we could never pay. Death has to be paid for sins. And Jesus, you paid that once and for all for us. So I pray that this morning, regardless of our understanding of you, that you speak to us. Holy Spirit, we know that this is more than head knowledge. This is something that happens in our spirits and in our hearts. So power of the Holy Spirit, would you have um, freedom to speak to each one of us this morning, even if that's something we're not familiar with. And ask this in Jesus' name. I am. Amen. So you can take some notes this morning if you choose. You've got notes in your bulletin there. There are also notes you can fill them right in on your app. And there's kind of fill in the blank. And the first one is this, that the truth of the resurrection is life's ultimate priority. So kids in the room, I need you, kids in the room, I need you to pay attention. Sit up for a minute if you're under the age of coloring. <laughs> kids, turn around, look at me for a minute. There are things that your parents always want to teach you, Right? Do you ever notice there are things that your parents are always saying to you over and over and over again? Okay, see, Hope's saying yes, my daughter Hope. There, here, I'll, give, I'll give you two examples, and Hope, she can knock these out, I'm, I guarantee you. Hope, if you can't do it right the first time, you must... You're right, you must have time to do it over. What about this one? More isn't always better, Hope. More is... More is just more. Do you think we've said those over and over? Are there any other kids? Do you want to sell your parents out in the room this morning? What are some things that your parents say over and over and over? Anybody? Eat your vegetables. We have one, okay. Anybody else? Clean your room, yeah. Clean your room, eat your vegetables. Yeah, we've got, there are things that parents say to the kids over and over. Can we look at, if you still have your Bible open, go to verse 3, 1 Corinthians 15. Here's what Paul says. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance. And kids, we're teaching you these things. We're saying these things over and over because we believe they're so important. We think you need to know them. As you grow up, it's going to be important in your life. Here's what Paul's saying. The thing that was most important was what he received directly from Jesus. And we can go back to John chapter 11, verse 25. And here's what Jesus said. He said, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And this is the gospel Paul's talking about that he was passing on, that he was repeating over and over and over. Now, this life 
has some pretty wonderful things for us to experience. All, all, all of us, no matter how bad, how good we feel we have it, we have experienced some good things in life. Last week, I was in Cuba, and it was 30 degrees seven days in a week, seven days in a row the entire week. There was one day that was partly cloudy, and it was, there was people who made me meals and then cleaned up my meals. I went up to this wonderful place called the coffee bar, and all I would look at them and say, cappuccino, please, or Americano, please. And I came home, and I tried that. I looked at my espresso machine and went, Americano, please. And it just looked at me kind of blankly, and nothing happened. <laughs> it was... It was, it was a wonderful experience that I had for the last week. Beautiful place. The, I, we were staying on Veradero, and the people were great, and the food was great, and the weather was great. You know, we, we experience great things in life all the time. We have lifelong friendships that help us go through life together and enjoy it. We have, we have challenges that, that come our way, but it actually inspires us to live life to a greater level. Maybe you're, maybe you're working towards getting the next great promotion you have. Maybe you're trying to collect every... A, a Starbucks mug from every major city in the world. And if you're going, that's Pastor Heather's challenge in life. She, that's, that's her goal. So if you're, challenge, if you're traveling somewhere, just bring her back like a good one, a, a good one, right? Not the new weird cartoony ones, right? You want the good ones, yeah. <laughs> or may, maybe you're going to run a marathon. Maybe you're going to, um, Bob, Bob Ball and Sharon and uh, Carl said, we're going to try and bike to Niagara Falls this summer. We have all these things in life that we do that want to, some of you think that's torture, that's not enjoying life. But, but, but for us, that's, that's enjoying life. For some of you, it may be family, that it just fills you. It, life is wonderful because of it. For others of you, you're staring at me like, no, family is not exactly what I'd call making life filling. <laughs> Family's a little bit something else for you, but in life, there is so much to love, but it's temporary. You know that, right? Anything you achieve here, anything you experience here is all temporary. And in Luke, Luke wrote in the book of Acts, Luke was, Luke was a doctor, and he wrote the book of Acts to tell the story of the early church. Here's what he said, I have the same hope in God as these men themselves have, he's talking about the disciples, that there will be a resurrection of both the righteous and the wicked. And as we're talking about the resurrection being life's ultimate priority, it's not just Jesus' resurrection, it's all of our resurrection is what we see in the Bible. Life will end, and many of us know this, many of us know this maybe a little too, it's very close right now, we've lost a loved one, we experience it painfully. But the message of Easter and the message in the Bible is that death is not an end. Death is actually a passage into the beginning of eternity. And Jesus came and died so that my eternity, so that your eternity could be spent with God in perfect relationship in a place that is perfect with no pain, no stress, no sadness. And there's many people in this room who have made that choice and they've believed and they will spend their eternity with God because they've aligned themselves with God. But you need to know that the truth of the resurrection also states that we have another choice that we can make, that we're free to make, that we can choose to not believe in this story. And yet we will still live forever because life's ultimate priority is resurrection. It's just that we'll miss eternity with God in perfection. We'll live in the opposite. We'll spend our eternity without God in great imperfection. And I'd be doing a disservice on an Easter Sunday morning if we didn't address that the Bible promises that you and I are eternal beings. We don't live for this world. We live for our eternity. And life is not about doing the most amount of good things on earth. It's not experiencing the most that we can for the 79 years that we live on earth. 
or 84 years if you're a woman. That's the average. What, women, what do you do for those last five years after you, after you outlive us? Like, yeah, enjoy life, right? She's always telling me to save money and not spend. I think it's going to be those last five years. She's just going to blow it all and go, it's Caribbean living all the time and Vegas trips. I, I think that's what it is. Leslie, we're on to, we should go on a trip on ourselves. That's what we should. <laughs> Life's ultimate priority, catch this, is not life as we know it. Life's priority is actually found in death and resurrection. And it's what we believe on earth, not how we live, that actually determines where our eternity will be, where our futures will be spent. And Easter reminds us that it's the resurrection of Jesus and the resurrection that we will experience of our souls that becomes the ultimate priority. That's the first thought this morning. The second one is this. Let's engage in this thought. The message of the resurrection is remarkably precise. Our world is fascinated with predictions about the future from past prophets. Did anybody go see the movie 2012, back in 2012? You remember that? Where the Mayan calendar ended and they were like, oh no, there's no more Mayan calendar. They didn't predict anything past 2012. The world is going to end. And we had this big uproar about would the world end in 2012? And then we have the prophet Nostradamus, the French prophet who, who was uh, prophesying back in the Middle Ages. And he's credited with predicting the Great London Fire, the French Revolution, the Kennedy assassination. I've got three of his um, prophecies that we're going to see if we can figure out this morning. Let's put the first one up, Zara, on, on there. This is one of his prophecies that people say predicted the future. Put the first one up. Beasts ferocious with hunger will cross the rivers... The greatest part of the battlefield will be against Hister. In a cage of iron will the great one be drawn when the child of Germany observes nothing. What do people think he was prophesying? Hitler, that's right, World War II. He was saying Adolf Hitler in the rise of World War II. We've got to, re- yeah, there you go. Let's, let's, let's move on to the next one. This is Nostradamus, again, writing these hundreds of years before they ever happened. Let's go to the next one. Earth-shaking fire from the center of the earth will cause tremors around the new city. Two great rocks will war for a long time, and then Arethiza will redden a new river. Do you know what people say he was predicting? The Twin Towers, September 11th. They're saying the tremors around the new city and the two great rocks fall over. They're saying that was one of his predictions for uh, September 11th. We have one more up there. He will enter wicked, unpleasant, infamous, tyrannizing over Mesopotamia, and all friends made by the adulterous lady land dreadful and black of aspect. Any idea what people are attributing this prophecy to right now? Isis. Oh, she's got the answers. I shouldn't have told you. Yeah. (laughs) Isis, that's right. Yeah, they were saying uh, coming out of Mesopotamia and then this signature black that Isis is wearing. Now, this is Nostradamus predict. We're fascinated by this because we're saying, how could one person predict so many things to be true? Now, these are cryptic, right? They, he, it wasn't Hitler, it was Hister, and we're saying Mesopotamian black. They're a little bit of revisionist. We say, when we look back, we could see that maybe that's what he was predicting. At the very best, it's a clouded prophecy. Do you know that these specific prophecies of Jesus were fulfilled? In the Old Testament, it was written that 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 the Savior would come from the town of Bethlehem, where Jesus was born. 
They said he would be in the line of David. One family who is from one tribe in Israel, that's where Jesus came from. They said he would be betrayed by a friend and that the ransom money would be used to buy a potter's field, which is what Judas did. He sold Jesus out for 200 pieces of silver and then used the money to buy a field where he killed himself. They said he'd be crucified alongside criminals and given vinegar to drink on a cross. All things that happened verbatim and that his side would be pierced and not a, bro- a bone would be broken. These were all things that were predicted. If you, if you know, we, back a few months ago, we looked at the construction of the Bible. The Bible was written, 66 different books, 30 different offers, authors. Over a period of 5,000 years, this thing was put together. And all of these predictions completely came true. And then in 1 Corinthians 5 and 13, in our key text, it said that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. It's a precise book, this Bible, this message of Easter. This is something that had been prophesied for thousands of years. And it's not only precise, it's also concise. And if you were with us on Friday, you heard how it was God's plan since we broke our relationship back with him at the Garden of Eden. The entire Bible is centered on one teaching, that Jesus, God's son, was going to come and die so that you and I would never have to die, but we would live forever with him. Billy Graham, probably the world's greatest evangelist, millions of believers accredit their path to Jesus by listening to him. And he centers his message on the one verse that almost everybody, whether you're in a church or not, know. John 3, 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him wouldn't perish, but would have eternal life. And you know, there are some books in the Bible that have wild imagery. And there are Proverbs and Psalms that speak in rhyme, and there are Books at the beginning of the Bible that are full of lists of families and building and laws. But the gospel message, and if you're new to the Bible, I would suggest starting in those first four books of the New Testament. Maybe start with Mark. It's the shortest and most concise telling of Jesus' story. Or then go to the book of John that talks about the great love of Jesus. But begin by reading the simple and clear message. Gospel means good news, of the good news of Jesus. And here's what it says in 2 Timothy 2 and 8. Remember Jesus Christ, raised from the dead, descended from David. This is my gospel. And for those who are not Christian, who are listening here this morning, you're not a believer. I can understand that just because I say, some guy at the front of the room says that the Bible has this message, it's not an easy step to move from your doubts over to a place of belief. But I want you to consider the third statement that we're all going to focus on in the room, that not only is the message very precise? And not only is it pointing towards our ultimate priority, which is our resurrected self, the third thought is that the reality of the resurrection was substantiated by proof. You can believe the story. Almost anyone can believe this story. There was a generous man who seemed to have special favor with God. He had the ability to pray and miracles happen. That's not altogether unbelievable. Most of us who have a religious leaning in our in our in our in ourselves we believe that there are people whom god favors and god chooses to work and actually very few people who are religiously aware dispute that jesus was a pro- was a prophet but to believe that he was god's son how was he born from god even though he came from a very human mother who claimed to be a virgin and then how did he die and come back to life that just doesn't happen that's the part that you go time out i don't think so <laughs> You've got a good message, you've got a good book, we've got a lot of religions, we're not really going to fully bite off that claim. 
I want you to consider a few claims made by prominent people in Jewish society who lived directly after the time when Jesus was killed, and then three days later, his body was missing from the place where he had been laid to rest, which was guarded by soldiers. And all of a sudden, his body is gone. Here's what happened. We, we already read it, 1 Corinthians 15, verses 5 to 8. He appeared to Cephas, which is Peter, and then to the 12. Those are the disciples. And after that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most who are still living. You know why Paul writes that? He's saying, if you don't believe me, go talk to the 500 other people who said, yeah, I saw him after he was killed and then after his body was no longer in the grave. And then he appeared to James, which is his brother, and then all the apostles, and last of all, to me. Now, you need to know this. Corinthians, this book that I'm reading from, it was a public letter. A man named Paul who was... um, who had been a, a, he had been a Jewish Pharisee and then he became one of the ones who started the church. He wrote this letter to be passed around all over the church and all over, all over not only with the, the, the Jewish part, but also as they moved into Asia. If these claims were lies, there would have been hundreds of people who would have started to dispute them. If, if, if Paul said, go and talk to Leslie because Leslie had seen Jesus after he had come back to life and you didn't believe me, what would you do? You'd go talk to Leslie. <laughs> and if you said there are 500 people you can talk to, if you had questions, you would begin to go talk to these people. And if you're being associated with lies, how quickly would you want to make sure that you distance yourself from that? Think about this. Nobody wants to be part of a conspiracy that's easily discoverable as a lie. When, when there's the UFO sightings, ever watch these on TV? <laughs> How come it's always some bumpkin with poor language skills and poor hygiene telling Fox News that they saw shiny lights in the sky and we were abducted, both me and my dog? <laughs> like, like, why is it always that guy that gets on the news and why is it always Fox doing it? When you've got legitimate astrologists who are saying, you know, we're trying to figure out if there's something, they don't align themselves with Cleet and his dog who says they were abducted. They distance themselves from that. Why? Because if it's a crazy story, you don't want to be with the crazy guy who's on the news. We look at the history of the Bible, and you know what we see? We see doctors. We see business people. We see those who are involved, even in tax collecting, all these people saying, yeah, that story's real. Uh, Jesus died. I saw that. His body was no longer in the grave. And then I saw him come back to life. Here's what we read in Acts 1 and 3. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days for more than a month, and he spoke about the kingdom of God. There is no conspiracy here. People saw Jesus after he died. It's kind of like global warming and climate change, and I'm not going to get political here this morning. (laughs) I don't know what you believe about global warming, but I do know this. We are all open to an opinion about how and why, but the facts are that the world's climate is changing. Have you lived through our last three winters? This winter, we had like 10 degrees, and then we had negative 40 degrees the next weekend. Remember when the All-Star weekend was on? That was horrible. I I didn't want to go outside. It it hurt when you went outside, and then it was warm. And last winter, we had like this much snow one weekend, and, and then in the summer, we go through these periods of 45 degrees, and then all of a sudden, it's 10 degrees. The climate is changing. We can see that. 
And we all can have an opinion on why it's changing and, and what it is, but there is no disputing that fact. Here's the fact. Jesus was killed. We know that. There's record of a Jewish prophet named Jesus being killed, crucified. We know that he was put in a tomb, and now that tomb was empty three days after that, and there were hundreds of people saying, yeah, and then we saw him. We had dinner with him. He talked to us. He taught us about heaven after it. Those are facts. And now you and I are forced to make a decision about what we believe about that. Which brings us to our last point, which is the decision that I've made, and I pray that maybe you consider it this morning, that the hope of the resurrection is the power of the gospel. There is no point in coming to church if Jesus didn't come back from the dead. Listen, you can all go home and look for chocolate eggs left by a magical bunny. And that is the... A wonderful part of Easter. We did it at our, the Easter Bunny came to our house this morning, right? Yeah, he came. Oh, don't tell me no. My nieces are here. My nieces are here with me. Well, then what were you looking for? (laughs) There was eggs in our toaster. There were eggs in our fruit bowl. And I recall you not being able to find there, little Missy, the eggs in the fruit bowl and needing some help. There were eggs under an iPad even, actually. It's a wonderful part of Easter that we celebrate and it's fun And if I was allowed to participate, I would have been body checking those three little girls out of the way to get me some of that chocolate. But Paul's very clear in 1 Corinthians 15 and 2. He says that by the gospel, you are saved. And if you hold firmly to the word I preach to you, if you hold firmly to the word I preach to you, otherwise, you have believed in vain. And it's a wonderful part of Easter, but it's not the part that actually matters. I know that there are people, you've been coming to church and there's believers and there's skeptics and listen, you're here this morning, you need a reason to have hope because there's rent due but your paycheck isn't coming. Or I joked about family earlier but you may not be going somewhere this afternoon or you don't feel like going somewhere because there's a real rift and separation in your family. There may even be hatred in your family. There may be someone in your circle that's close to even facing a life and death choice. And as wonderful as this world is, it doesn't offer any hope for any of this. That's the sad reality is that our world can't fix those problems. Our world causes those problems. And the resurrection of Jesus is the only thing that has hope beyond this life, that has hope beyond the problems that we face today. Jesus beat hatred. Jesus beat pain. Jesus beat fear and he even beat death when he hung on that cross. Each of those things are products of a world that has trouble, but a world that ends. And we are talking of an eternal place where none of those struggles, not even your own death, can take the smile off your face from being in perfection with Jesus. And it means that you can encounter Jesus in any state of mind. It doesn't matter how you came to church this morning. In an instant, you can be filled with hope and know that there is truth in the life and the promise through the resurrection of Jesus. Yet in the same room, you can be sitting beside someone and another person can see and hear the same things yet totally miss it because they choose to remain a step back and say, I'm not ready to do that yet. And that's the decision I wonder if you would make this morning. And for those of you who come to church Easter after Easter and hear the same message, it may seem like a waste of time. At the very best, it may feel like a fairy tale that gives people a crutch in a time of need. You know, the Bible even acknowledges that opinion. Paul, the one who wrote 
Corinthians. I want to take you to chapter 1 of that letter that he wrote, the same letter we've been reading out of. Here's what he said. The message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, to those who haven't chosen to believe. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. And I I, I said earlier, I wasn't going to be naive enough to believe that a person could change in an instant. But here's the thing. You might not, but you can. (laughs) This room is full of people, whether you made the decision as a child and said, yeah, I'm going to believe that. I'm going to experience the truth of God. Some, some kids made that decision. For me, it wasn't until I was a teenager that I decided, you know, I'm going, to, I'm going to check out if this message of Jesus is real. For others, I know there are adults in the room. I've heard your stories. It was when you were an adult that you decided, I believe that this is real. I'm going to risk faith in Jesus Christ and see if the Spirit of God brings me the hope that all these people keep talking about. And one of the biggest deterrents from faith is that people assume that you have to live a certain way, you have to know certain things, you have to get 100% on the thumbs up, thumb down test, you have to know all the words that Heather's singing. You have, no, <laughs> you can, there is no prerequisite for knowing Jesus and knowing hope. Here's the prerequisite. You were made by God to be a person because he sent his son for people that he made, that he loved. I want you to listen to Paul one more time. I'm going to invite our worship team to come back. He has saved us and he has called us to a holy life. Not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. It has now been revealed through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who has destroyed death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. And this morning, here's how we're going to close church off. We're going to sing verse 3 and the chorus of the victor's crown. And Zara's going to put those words on the screen for us. Here's what, here's, here's what the words say in verse 3. You've already sang it once this morning. The words say that you're Jesus. You are the Messiah. Messiah was the one that was coming, the promised one that was to come and to take our place. And you're the hope of all the world. And this morning, it doesn't matter where you were with God when you came to church, the simple act of singing these words and believing them in your heart qualifies you for heaven. It qualifies you to receive this hope that I've been talking about. I'm going to come back at the end and I'm going to pray with you and Amanda's going to come. We're going to give some Easter lilies and I hydrangeas. These are hydrangeas. We're going to give those away this morning. We've got some things. We, we, we've, got a, we've got a gift for all the kids we got lots of stuff to do. However, other people have some other business to do before we have that stuff to do, the fun stuff of this life. Other people have some business to do with the ultimate priority of life, which is your soul. And this morning, I'm going to challenge you. Would you sing these words that you're Jesus, you're the Messiah, you're the hope of all the world. Hallelujah, you have overcome. It might be for the first time. It might be just the reassurance you need this morning. But would you make this a prayer this morning as we sing this with Heather and the team? And I'll come back at the end. So Lord, I pray for those individuals that raise their hand. And even those, God, it's not about a hand. It's about a heart and a, and a mind that says yes to Jesus. I pray for them this morning, Lord. I thank you that you already knew that on, on this day, On this Easter Sunday, they were going to make the decision to follow you. And you brought this all together for them. You did this for them. When you hung on that cross, Jesus, you saw their lives. 
That's how amazing you are, to give them hope today to live forever with you. So I thank you, Lord, for those who have already made that decision, for those who did today, for those who are still considering it. Lord, I pray that the Holy Spirit walk with us every day of our lives and we begin to feel your presence more closely. We begin to experience your hope. And especially for those that they can look back that today was their day, Lord. God, would, would, we, would we celebrate with them that they've made that decision, that they will walk forever with you, not only on this world, but as, as, uh, as they move into the next life too. Uh, they will wor- spend their days forever with you, with the presence of God in their lives. We thank you. And we ask this all in the name of Jesus. Amen.